Welcome back to another episode of my Excel podcast. This one's a very special one. Uh, interview that I thought I had lost after I lost two hard drives in a crash that was the biggest kick to the teeth I've ever had as a producer. I've lost so much work, but among it was this interview with Jamel Mar, who is one half of Jam and Spoon, one of the artists that has been such a huge influence, not just in me, but I think in dance music, trance, ambient, you name it. These guys really were at the forefront of dance music. So it's been amazing to find and recover this interview with Jam and talk about his journey through music. It was recorded in the 7th of July, 2020. So over two years ago I recorded this and now I've found it and I'm so happy to share it with you guys. Jam had played 1994 in Glasgow on the March and we've kept in touch, talked about doing the interview and we've done it a couple of months later. And hopefully, to celebrate 10 years of 1994, we'll invite Jam back again to rock 1994 because he really did smash it. It was an amazing set. And his journey is a, an amazing listen, so I hope you enjoy it. I also hope you can get tickets to our next 1994 events. Celebrating 10 years of 1994 this year, 2023, we're doing two amazing events, one in Edinburgh and one in Glasgow. The one in Edinburgh is on the 25th of February. And the lineup is Ultrasonic, Suburban Delay, Bass Generator, Trevor Riley, MC Cyclone, GT Sampler, Andy C from the Rhythmic State, DJ10, Malcolm X, and Madman. That's at the Biscuit Factory in Edinburgh on the 25th of February. There's also one the week after in Glasgow, 1994, The Future, with Ultrasonic, Die Witness, MC Cyclone, Mark Smith, George Bowie, Joe Deacon, Malcolm X, Lee Clark, and MC Voyager. Two massive parties. Tickets are only £20 plus booking fee and you can get the links in the comment from my link tree. Without any further ado, here's the main event and this is Jamil Mars' Journey Through Music. Please leave comments, share with your friends and let everybody hear this. Excel Podcast. Well, I call you Rolf or I call you Jam. What should I call you for this interview? Um, maybe, maybe it's better to call me Jam, whatever you like, actually. But I think Jam is better because uh, people will, you know, know me yeah. as Jam and Mar, So cool. I think that's the better choice. <laughs> that's what I'll do. Right. So, Jam, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mark. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I like you. Uh, people can't probably see, but I like your I like your sweater with Psycho on it. Psycho, <laughs> psycho killer. killer. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> I like that. That's from the, the Talking Heads record. Yes, yes, I know. Great. Uh, so what I was going to say, this the podcast that I've been doing is I've just been inviting people on the, who I respect and admire and to talk about their journey through music. So it's okay. fantastic to finally have you as a guest and get to ask you all these amazing questions about your amazing journey through music. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm also honored. I'm uh, always uh, flattered and um, amazed by, you know, the, the feedback that I still get for 
you know, the work that I did in the past with Marcus. And um, for some reason, probably we had done something uh, special. Uh, otherwise, yeah. people would not react so much on, on this music still. And the music would probably be gone already. And, uh, you know, nobody would, would be interested anymore. But for some reason we um, might have created something special <laughs> i don't know special, how but yeah <laughs> yeah but you too i mean yeah you have also some in your repertoire you have also a lot of classics aren't you yeah a lot of it inspired by your music <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're, they're even better even better wonderful <laughs> yeah. i mean so like going back at the start jam when you sort of I usually kind of start, or when was the first time you were aware of music? It doesn't need to be dance music, you know. Was it an early age when you began to love music? You know, I'm. I um, when I was when I was a kid uh, in our family, we had. Um, is it a habit? I don't know. We had, we had the. Um, we had this kind of a celebration on, on Sunday afternoons that we would sit in front of the stereo and listen to some music. Of course, it was mostly classical music and um, not pop at all, you know. But, but, and, and sometimes uh, my father had these uh, cassettes, um, I think, in the car. I think the first cassettes uh, were um, from the Beatles, one of the Beatles anthology, uh, yeah. Beatles Best Off or something. And then uh, there was the Deep Purple in Rock. And Deep Purple in Rock was uh, one of the most influential albums I listened to back at that time. And there's one record that I really can say was the... Um, maybe the start of of my you know musicianhood and that was voodoo child by jimmy Hen jimmy hendrix wow you know this, uh, yeah 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 and uh, then i wanted to be a guitarist of course i never made it to play like him yeah <laughs> i think he <nobody laughs> could but um but i became a musician yeah, yeah. so <laughs> and, was, and, uh, was it a guitar yeah. that was your first instrument you took to because of voodoo child that's that's right yeah and uh I came to my father and said, you know, um, I, I need to play electric guitar. Please, please buy me electric guitar. And he said, well, you know, my son, uh, before you play electric guitar, you have to uh, learn the classical guitar. And I was like, okay, when father says classical guitar, I will do classical guitar, which of course was just a trick because my father was afraid of all that noise here that was coming out of my room then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with the electric guitar, I said, oh, you play the, play the classical. It's not so loud, you know. But actually, so I ended up playing and studying classical guitar. Later on, I... I um, yeah. I also bought electric guitars and played played them. I still do. I have some nice guitars here, some vintage guitars, uh, like a Stratocaster from 1963, and uh, a real gem. And uh, yeah, it's um, so I became a musician. Yeah, I started music, and um, but I, you know, along the line, I uh, discovered Tangerine Dream and Klaus Schulze and all these electronic groups and, and I was so fascinated by synthesizers and this is how I came into electronic music yeah and also um, when, 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 if you want I, I mean if you look back what Jimi Hendrix did with the electric guitar was more or less this this uh, powerful and uh, this power that he created I, I think that was not 
far away from the music um, that we listen to from the energy i mean from mm -hmm. the energy level so i always was fascinated by highly energetic music all by ambient <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the other side yeah, yeah I mean, nothing even, in between really even look mm -hmm. what hendrix was doing with the the guitar and distortion you know the, the tones within distortion it's almost like a would, would you even say it's maybe like a synthesis of a guitar sound you know that yes. you know the distortion yeah. sound and all that yeah exactly this is what i was trying to express that uh, hendrix is uh, was so experimental and he could play the guitar in a way that um, that the guitar was uh, turning into something like an electronic instrument yeah and um, it, it sounded of course it was still a guitar though but but uh, the energy and um, this electrifying energetic sound I think uh, is um, uh, yeah it's it's more or less the same expression that we have like with our electronic music that yeah. we do you know so would you, would you say you were was you studying the guitar at university or was it a college yeah or so? yeah yes then, you, yeah. i have a diploma as wow. a classical guitarist <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny i think you know to have a diploma as a musician <laughs> yeah also life could have went totally different direction if you hadn't discovered synthesizers and you know yeah the groups that you had mentioned was that, yeah, slow, thing, was that slowly coming into your music collection, you know, the synthesizer sounds of Kraftwerk and the, the other mm -hmm. bands that you mentioned? Yes, exactly. And uh, it was um, definitely, um, um, it, be it became stronger and stronger through my, um, along the line when I studied classical guitar. And uh, of course, my teachers went, too pleased about that because uh, you know it took away for, uh, time that I could use for for practicing the classical guitar and so um, um, actually it distracted me a little bit you know I uh, but on the other side it was good because um, right after I finished my studies I um, I came into electronic music and I became a producer because i i was introduced to some djs and they said oh you have these synthesizers and these drum computers please you know i know what's on the you know what's good on the dance floor so and you make the music let's stick together yeah. and make make a and and so this is um this is what uh, how it began actually to how we um how I started, you know, um, in the eighties, I, I bought the synthesizers. Um, you know, my first synthesizers that, that I used later on in, in productions, and you know, and uh, you know, um, after and after, I, I bought even more equipment. It was it was uh, amazingly expensive back at that time. You know, yeah. no plugins for maybe fifty euros or something, yeah. or you know, fifty pounds. <laughs> Uh, it was like uh, five thousand pounds, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you could only could, you know, maybe in a year you could maybe buy one or or two, you know, if, if things were good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, now everything's done in a in one computer almost, isn't it? People are lucky enough yeah. to have everything they want then. Yeah, exactly. And today, I mean, I also use um, plugins, and I work on. Uh, on the MacBook Pro that I have, uh, that we are actually using now, I have my whole collection of plugins, and uh, I think it sounds amazing. And uh, but back at that time, uh, we hired studios and yeah. we recorded a time code on one track, 
and then we synchronized everything the sequences the drum computers i mean you probably did the same thing and uh, i don't know how you worked but um, we worked with real with uh, you know the broad tapes the I don't know, two two point five inch. Tapes. Yeah, two point five inch tape. Yeah, everything was recorded yeah, onto that until yeah. that tapes came along, and then it was recorded onto DATs or eight mm -hmm. tracks and stuff like that as yeah. well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had an eight dot uh, player, and uh, the first two um, German Spoon albums, the uh, Tripomatic Fairytales, were, were all mixed on the dot and uh, I think it was a great machine. It was affordable and had a great sound uh, yeah. so for for us it was like fantastic we could have like a like a studio sound all of a sudden in our bedroom studio yeah <laughs> i mean going back what was the sort of first sort of synthesizers drum machines that you sort of got your hands on when you were first buying um the first synthesizer i bought was a, um, a tysco SX400, which was actually a clone of uh, the famous Juno 106. Ah, okay. And it, uh, yeah, it, it didn't sound it, it sound smoother than the, the the Roland, but it sounded good. You know, I was totally fascinated. I, I spent like nights, you know, just bef sitting before this, and you could you could like uh, play four um, voices at the same time. So this was something that was very, very new back at that time. And uh, it sounded great and uh, it was very noisy. <laughs> Had a lot of, uh, you know, crackles and whatever, you know, but uh, I loved this machine. And um, the next was a real, you know, what was a real uh, in, 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 yeah, investment. Uh, it was a System 700 by Roland. Wow! Not the complete, not the complete System 700. For those who who don't know what the System 700 is, it is like um, uh, a modular synthesizer that was built like in 1976, I think. And um, the Roland Germany um, had some, you know, uh, some of those modules still in in stock, and they wanted to give it away for less money. So I, um, my, my distributor, who um, yeah, who called me and say, you know, we have these three cabinets. Are you interested to buy? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a real occasion. And I didn't have that money, of course. It was, uh, I think, it was ten thousand uh, Deutschmarks back, back at that time. And I was not even a student. I was like still, you know, just uh, earning some money beside, you know, uh, giving guitar lessons. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, went to my father. Uh, no, I, I, I think I first went to the bank and said, you know, <laughs> I need to have a credit, you know, give me some, give me the money. <laughs> and they said, yeah, you know, um, you're 18 years old or something. I don't know how old I was, but um, you better should ask your father and not deal with us. You know, with your father, it will be more convenient, definitely. And so I went to my father and said, you know, I went to the bank and the guy said, uh, the banker said, I should lend the, borrow the money from you. And he said, mm, okay, you know, I, there's nothing that I can, I can't do against it. <laughs> so I, he, he, you know, he gave me the money and I had to, I had to pay it back, but I think maybe 70%. The, you know, the last thousands, he said, you know, okay, it's all right, you know, for, just forget it. Yeah. And so my father really supported me very much. My, my, my mother as well. So, 
um, they thought, you know, I was a little bit crazy, <laughs> a little bit strange, but they always supported me when I uh, was trying to build up the equipment and everything to, um, my, my, my parents somehow liked that, although they had to, you know, get along with all that noise that I was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're keeping everyone up with your noise you're making in your room and you're building your bedroom studio and making these noises. <laughs> Yeah, and I had also electric guitars, Marshalls in my little room, and I, uh, you know, I wanted to have the the real Marshall sound, so I put everything on ten, and it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was unbelievable. And the neighbors were calling, "Can you do your exercises a little bit uh, lower volume?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, okay, okay, no problem." And they were really, um, they they were really fine. You know, everyone was just uh, tolerating what I was doing there. So yeah. I I didn't, never had fights really or something with someone. It was really cool. That's good. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. as you're experimenting with music, your guitars and your synthesizers, were were you buying records as well, or were you just basically mm -hmm. experimenting with the synthesizers and guitars that you had? I was buying a lot of records, yes, of course. Um, f um, at first, I, I was trying to, uh, you know, scan all the racks for electronic music. And uh, of course, I mean, uh, through Kraftwerk and, and all these bands, uh, there, and there was like something like, you know, these electronic rhythms coming along. And also, um, at the same time, you know, in the 80s, you know, this electronic music that was created by, you know, mo mostly by the British bands that have fascinated me very much, like Patch of Boys or all these stuff that came from Trevor Horn. And yeah. so there was like going more, more, more and more into the club scene, you know, where there was something born that was, you know, just bubbling and uh, cooking and waited to explode. And I think, uh, you know, at the beginning of the 90s, when I met Mark Spoon, this was really like the starting starting gun for this techno era. I mean, in America, there was techno before, of course, um, with uh, Juan Atkins and all these guys. But uh, for us in Frankfurt, I think it was really like uh, 89, 1990, when we really started and then Snap and when Fate became famous and all these uh, guys, you know, and this was um, like the result from all these um, uh, development that we have been going through before. Yeah. And um, Mark, yeah, and so go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, it's fascinating how, you know, it's, you, could, you could argue that electronic, music sort of started in Germany, then it sort of found its way over to UK and maybe America. And, mm -hmm. and then it was sort of, the UK's maybe took it more in a, a pop sort of direction. America's took it more in a sort of techno direction. Then it's kind of came back to Germany. And yeah. then it's built another, it's just, it's amazing how it's just sort of moved and changed and then sort yeah. of came back to you guys. And, you know, I, I would say like in, in Germany, the sound and all that, everything seemed to be so fresh again in the 90s onwards, you know, all the electronic music coming out of the clubs and the DJs and producers like yourself. But if yeah. you look at the where it's all coming from, you know, and how it's changed through the years and the countries, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. I agree. And uh, of course, we were, we, we were influenced by all that, that came from America and UK. And uh, 
then we somehow cooked a new uh, meal, <laughs> a musical <laughs> sound from this, you know, uh, and 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 this was something that again the 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 you know the producers pro in UK liked. And so I said, oh, this sounds somehow different. And I think for the first time, really, um, Germany had like a style of music that was really that, uh, that that could say, oh, this is coming from Germany. It's not like a copy of um, American pop music or UK pop music, yeah. you know, yep. because we, we were all, you know, we had our Schlager and all these uh, stuff, <laughs> but uh, we, we were completely under, you know, you know, we were completely under control of the American and, and, and British record industry. And yeah. there was not, no really, I, I, you know, there was no ID sound of, uh, of a German, you know, so, some bands, of course, had had it, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, with this techno and this electronic dance music, this club music, uh, all of a sudden there was like something that you could really say, oh, this is uh, like a very fresh new sound that originally comes from Germany. Yeah, which yeah. I thought is really, really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And you, you touched on like what I usually do with these podcasts is I'll break them up with musics. The, from your selection so you touched on Jimi Hendrix Voodoo Chill which I think is a great one to play would there be mm -hmm. another dance more synthesized song and we could maybe take a break and play those two tracks and then come back is there another dance song that you would that really affected you or really surprised you or inspired you you mean uh, like an electronic music track right yeah um yeah, there was oh, there were there were many. There were really many. Um, there was one album by Tangerine Dream that was really uh, I was completely fascinated. Um, it is called uh, Rubicon, and it's, it has like two pieces on it, uh, A side, B side, and they were just amazing. And uh, I think they were released on Virgin Records back at that time. And but before, um, I mean, I was completely also into this Pink Floyd stuff, yeah. you know, that was also, you know, um, experimental and, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, had also like a different um, world of sound, you know, uh, that, that uh, nobody else had. And um, these bands like Tender and Dream or Kraftwerk, in a way, they had like a... Um, they maybe take it to a to a even more another step, you know. They they um, they sounded more electronic, and um, yeah. So this uh, Rubicon was very, and there was a, by um, moments in love by Art of Noise was completely my. Yeah. Well, I was completely like I said, what is this? This is just amazing, and these uh, all these tracks they had a certain atmosphere that I always tried to achieve when we were music doing music for Janet Spoon. Yeah, uh, this atmospheric kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So if I was to push you to pick one to select, I know it's hard. What would be your one to select, and we can we can insert those two into the podcast. So we've got Jimi Hendrix is a great one. What would mm -hmm. be your electronic-based selection? Um, so you mean club, more club music? It's totally up to you. It could be like, I, I usually ask for the, the, the track, the sort of, it, it can be like early synth pop, it can be like Tangerine Dream, whatever, just one of the ones 
you've kind of picked a rock track now. Mm-hmm. If you could pick one, it was more synthesized, electronic music based that really inspired you at the start. Yeah. I know it's very hard. <laughs> yeah, the, this is uh, definitely the the Rubicon album. Yeah, uh, by by Tender and Dream, definitely, and um, yeah, and, and when I started uh, working on electronic dance music, you know, on uh, club music, uh, was definitely um, most every everything that was released by RNS. Uh, um, Energy Flash by Joy Beltram yeah. was killer for me. It was still, I still play it, you know, when I play. Yeah, it's um, amazing. Um, and um, there were some others. Um, I can't really remember the name. There was a uh, one called GTO um, Pure. Pure, yeah. What a Probably, fantastic you know, song, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, those early stuff, you know, that is hard to play these days because. Um, you know the sound system don't understand the sound anymore <laughs> yeah. always sounds small and you know it, it need to be um, remastered and mixed and um but but they, they were just wonderful records you know but joey beltram energy flash is like you know like a cult record for me <laughs> yeah that's that's 30 years old this year that track yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. crazy when you think the amount of time's passed so <laughs> we'll play those two and then we'll come back as if we've just listened to those Sure. Um, they're two amazing tracks um, so you've spoke about you know how you started in classical then you you're, you developed a love for synthesizers you're building your home studio mm-hmm. what was the first sort of record that you put together that you produced were you making demos all the time were you sending them to people sure yeah I was I was doing a lot, um, so, some demos and uh you know, most of them were not really, uh, you know, uh, they were sent sent back and say, oh, you know, uh, better better next time. <laughs> uh, you know, keep trying. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, <laughs> you know, but um, uh, of course, I was. Um, this is something that I um, I always tried to. I always wanted to sound like. Trevor Horn or some something that, and I of course it was not possible with, with the equipment that I had, but you know this if you have like a goal where you want to go, then um, you um, just try and along the way you build up your own sound, you you uh, craft your own sound, and probably you end up somewhere completely different, but that doesn't matter. It's just um, that you want to. Um, built your very unique signature sound and um, when I uh, met Mark Spoon later uh, like in I think in 90 or 91 it was then um, you know we um, it was like the it was like just a lucky lucky um, meeting you know meeting him and uh, because we both were going for the same thing and so yeah it was uh, for from these days you know we became better and better and i think um when i started with working with mark uh, everything happened really quickly first i think we um uh, some some uh, at some point mark was uh, walking into the day i said hey uh, would you like to do um a, a remix of this track called age of love 
And I said, how, how, oh, yeah. How, how did you meet? If you could, just before we got jumped to all that amazing stuff, how did you meet okay. Mark? Was it because usually a lot of artists and DJs that I've spoken to before, everyone says the record shop was kind of like their internet back then where everybody mm-hmm. met. How would the June Mark meet in a record store or how did the meeting come about? Um, back at that time, I was also um, uh, um, working as a studio musician. So um, for 500 Deutschmarks, you, can, you could hire me for a day in the <laughs> studio. <laughs> and then uh, Rolf, uh, Jam, uh, back at that time I was Rolf, would come uh, with all his keyboards and, um, you know, building up everything. And then we start recording. And... Um, my my first DJ cooperation was with, with DJ Dark, uh, Dance to Trance. And um, DJ Dark was working in the same building like Mark Spoon. Mark Spoon was an A&R manager for Logic Records back at that time. Yeah. And they both of them were uh, working at the same spot, you know. And uh, Mark Spoon asked uh, Dark, he said, you know, you have this keyboard guy, you know, um, what's his name? Can you give me his telephone number? And he said, oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, this is the number. And uh, then Mark was calling me and said, you know, I have to do this remix for, for Logic Records and uh, I need a studio musician. Would you please come over and, and, and play this for me? And I say, yeah, no problem. And uh, so we made this track together. Then then I was really working as a studio musician. And for some reason, um, for some reason, uh, yeah, I'm getting, getting an expresso by my friend. Delivered expresso. Yeah. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and so um, I, re- I clearly remember when he, when Mark Spoon was walking into the door, there was something I knew. Some now, something special was going on, you know. Yeah. And uh, when he said, "Can we do something like this and that?" You know, I, I imagine a sound like this and that. I already had it in my keyboards, you know. Can we sample this? And and before I even said that, I already sampled it into my. Um, Emacs 2 or what I had at, back at that time and uh, it was just amazing there was like a communication that was so fast and so clear and so direct and we said you know it was fantastic let's do some more music and then we started um, doing remixes for Dr. Alban, uh, Hello Africa and No Coke and then we um, I think then uh Age of Love came along. <laughs> was was that with the the Doctor Alban? That was that under Jam and Spoon, or was that just Mark doing a remix for the record label? Yeah, with no name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Ah, okay. It was like remi- remixed by Mark Spoon, and I think I was also uh, credited, and also the the engineer, and uh, we worked with um, a guy like uh, Norbert Janicke uh, in a studio near Frankfurt. It was a little bit outside of Frankfurt. And this guy, um, I learned most of the stuff that I know now from actually two two guys. It was Norbert, this engineer, and another very, very good stu- studio musician. His name is Pitt Löw. Löw, like the German uh, soccer trainer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and But they're not, they, they don't have anything to do with each other. But um, yeah, the, the, from those two guys, they really... 
I have to say, they really educated me. They showed me everything. You know, they said, ah, this is not good. You know, you can improve it by by doing this and yeah. that. And, you know, so I learned and learned and learned. It was really great. If you have someone who guides you a little bit, then uh, yeah. really you make use of it. It's uh, the best thing, you know. Yeah. At one point, of course, you have to go your own way. But um, before that, it's always helpful that you have some people who, you know, keep you going. Of right? course. I mean, the you, you, you mentioned the dance to trans stuff, which mm-hmm. was you working with the guys who done dance to trans? Was you a member of dance to trans or was mm-hmm. you just going in? So like, I was no, no. Dance to Trance to Hello San I, Francisco was one of my favorite yeah. tracks. I didn't even know that was you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was also me. I mean, I, at least I had my my fingers on it. And uh, yeah, Dancer Trance was also like um, the typical 90s uh, conceptual duo, like uh, DJ and musician. Yeah. And yeah. Um, a guy there was a, back in that time in, in in Frankfurt there was a guy his name is Heinz Roth he was also manager of Sven Veit thank you very much man uh, my uh, espresso just arrived <laughs> yeah <laughs> good huh? and um, yeah he um, he was also manager of, of Sven Veit when when uh, when the, he really took off as a pop star back at that time yeah and and um, uh, and he was kind of a, you know, connector. He really could connect people. And he said, you know, I have this guy, he's DJ at the Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray was a very famous club at the um, Frankfurt airport in the basement. And um, yeah, and he said, you, you really guys, you, you guys should really hook up and make some music. I'm sure it's gonna, gonna work. And he was right. And we, we started working at DJ Dark and myself. And uh, we had some records that found, you know, good response. And after a few records, uh, we had this um, record called Power of American Natives, which uh, was my first golden record. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was, was, uh, was, so it was a big success. And, but later on, so the the thing is, the problem just was that um, once you had success, uh, like, you know, all of a sudden you sold 250,000 records or CDs or whatever. And uh, then record companies come and say, oh, no, yeah, we have to work together. And um, we offer you, you know, an advance for like 500,000 Deutschmark or whatever, you know. And then you say, oh, yippee. (laughs) Finally, I can uh, buy all the equipment that I want and buy sports cars or whatever stupid things you know and of course you know you get somehow corrupted by this you know it's um because somehow money uh, when comes into play then it's really hard to keep track on the important things that you have been coming from you know that influenced yeah. you and made you what you are because all of you know you get distracted you know by ah oh, today I thought I don't think we're gonna work today because you know I, let's say, go to a fancy restaurant or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. this you know and and all of a sudden you know you, you lose the threat and um, then of course a record company also would come along and call and say you know um, what you just delivered was just you know that's underground you know that's we can't really uh, you know we paid you so much money we want to have the hit yeah, give us hit another record. gold record give me another yes, gold record exactly yeah. yes yes and um, so 
um, he somehow ended like in a vicious circle, you know, yeah. and um, because all of a sudden you have to, you know, deliver, deliver, deliver and make money. And uh, Dance Trans had, had this like very sad end, you know, that we we were in a, media, in a video shoot in Bali. Can you imagine back in that time, the record companies had so much money that you would send you, you know, half around the world to make a stupid uh, music video in Bali. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, for us, it was like holidays, of course. And, uh, but, you know, it wasn't very pleasant because um, Doug and me realized that we don't, we didn't want it to go on this way. And somehow he wanted to go in the, to a different direction and myself, you know, it, it was just um, like uh, <laughs> uh, we had different interests, yeah. you know. We, and you we just, just went your own way. Exactly, yes. And so uh, then we split, we split yeah. up and... But at that time, I had already uh, I, I was working already with Mark Spoon, so I wasn't uh, it wasn't too much of a drama. You know? Yeah. So the the dance to trance had just happened before you had met Mark, or was that kind of happening at the mm -hmm. same time? Yeah. Before? No, not before. Before, yeah, okay. yes. And uh, and um, so when dance to trance. Uh, you know, took a little bit off, and um, you know there was focus on us. And then, then Mark Spoon was was coming along and said, "Oh, yeah, it's interesting stuff, you know, and nice, you know, I, you know, when when um, when uh, um, San Francisco was released, then this was about the time when I met Mark, and mm -hmm. he said." Ah, oh, no, nice record, nice record, and we we should really also do something together. And yeah, with Mark Spoon was really like um, like a I don't know. This, uh, when you say the chemistry is right, it was definitely yeah. true for us. You know, that's <laughs> it was great. really good. And so you started you started doing a couple of remixes as your first thing together, working with Mark. When did you decide to come about the name Jam and Spoon and what was the first Jam and Spoon track? Um, Stella, actually. Wow. Uh, yeah. I think it was, yeah, it was when we when, when we did the, the EP. Then we had then we said, oh, come on. You know, we have to find a project name. And he said, oh, it's very easy. Uh, we just call it German Spoon, you know. Then we have both names in it, and it, it sounds funny. And Mark Spoon was always great when it comes to con conceptual things and create you know funny ideas and stuff you know he was really really um a genius in um sp you know spacing and coming back with some great ideas you know yeah. he was absolutely fantastic with this and um for some reason i always could feel what he meant i always could understand and um you know after some time i could like also uh, translated into into music like into sound and um it was just great you know he came al along with the crazy ideas and i was uh, um you know putting it into sound yeah <laughs> like I mean, how did a studio session work out did the did the two years come in with some ideas and the both years in the studio together or is it are you working mm -hmm. on tracks and mark's coming in with oh i love that what about this as well or how did the mm -hmm. studio session go in those early days? I think it uh, was more or less like with everyone, you know. Uh, first, uh, we, you know, uh, let's start 
what do you start with? Okay, let's start with a bass drum. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> that's the first thing. And uh, but sometimes, um, um, for for example, with Stella, it was like this uh, because Marcus um, was always like um, two or maybe four or maybe five hours late. And then when you say, okay, let, let's meet at two o'clock, he would come at six, you know? And uh, I, and I didn't like to hang out, you know, just during that time. And uh, I was playing around with the keyboards and, um, you know, going through the presets and maybe uh, alter them a little bit. And uh, so I've, I played around with my Oberheim expander and then I, um, discovered this FM synthesis on on the on the filter, you know. It's it's for those who don't know how a, a synthesizer, synthesizer works. It has like oscillators and filters where you can take off certain frequencies and can modulate them. And um, this Oberheim expander had, had a special feature that other synths didn't have. Uh, at that time and uh, probably some people really didn't discover this but then I found out you know when you control this with the with, with some modulators you had this uh, very amazing uh, like distorted uh, uh, sharp sound coming along you know when you when you give more and more into this and so somehow I, I played these chords uh, from from Stella and used this modulation on it that you can hear on the record. It's bam, yeah. bam, 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 and this uh, which sound sounds a bit nasty, but uh, the chords are so sweet, so it's like a nice uh, contradiction. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful the way it just opens up and builds. Yeah, re really. Yeah, and this is yeah, this uh, was only possible with the with the Oberheim expander, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started recording this and um, made a groove. Took uh, the loop from Moby Go. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, put, we won't uh, tell him. <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> no, he knows. <laughs> no, no. He even made a remix for it. Yeah, he, he, so he knew, he he knows. He knows. Uh, but but back at that time. It was just uh, it was DJ style, you know, to take uh, yeah. little excerpts from and, and bits from other records and put it to, together and make something new out of it. And so there was never really, you know, it was not really stealing. It was just like you, you take some sounds, uh, yeah. and um, it was more or less open to everyone. Yeah. Um, if you steal an idea, that's a different thing. But if you just um, sample something, you know, like like a loop or a, anything, for us it was never a problem. You know, it was just yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's sample this. It sounds nice. You know. Yeah. Let's get sampled. Excel <laughs> podcast. So, uh, but coming back to, to Stella, for example, and how we worked, you know, Mark Spoon, uh, three hours late, uh, I had half of Stella ready. And I played, uh, you know, I, I mean, in the, in the meantime, I did something. Uh, I played to you and it was sitting there like, mm, okay. Bam, 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 bam. And was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Dun, 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 dun. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. But the arrangement is, is shit. <laughs> no, the arrangement is great. But okay, let's. You, you are the DJ. You are gonna tell me now. And then we started a completely different arrangement. And um, after a while, he said, he was looking at me seriously and said, mm. ah, 
trash that shit you know we, we go back to your <laughs> we go back to your arrangement and so we we we, we finished this and uh, he had this nice idea you know with this hold me love me and 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 um uh, um and and you know lowering the beats you yeah, know when, when it's, when it's, it's written yeah it's going down he had you know he had ideas like yeah that, and, that works really well on a dance floor when that yeah. when the song kicks in you know yeah, yeah. It's, uh, today, I usually when I play it uh, before it goes down, I make a loop and then I have a nice transition into something different. Mm -hmm. But if you, uh, it's, it's great if you want to close a set with uh, Stella, which I did also uh, at times. Uh, then it's nice, you know, when it goes down and down and down and down. And yeah. so it's like a nice end, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. So did that that comes out, and did that really kind of blow up? the mm -hmm. the jam and spoon name did you just think, absolutely yeah we've got some magic here what, what's what's coming next how how is it remixes is it more singles how is it building yeah um, i have to say bef before what comes next i have to uh, tell about what has been before uh, Stella, and oh. that was actually the the um, the Age of Love remix, oh, and wow, it's called Watch. Yeah, and the 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 famous you know the mix that became so famous is the Watch Out for Stella remix, and um, or, or yeah, uh, so um, with this was also a idea by Mark Spoon to call it like that. He said, "Oh, we call it Watch Out for Stella, then we can promote the, the <laughs> you know it's the Stella. record that's coming." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it was a typical that was a real mark spoon and yeah. um and so we had both uh, we had two strong records uh most uh, you know almost at the same time and that was like something that you uh, don't experience very often yeah. in your musician life or in your dj life or whatever your life <laughs> and so that was really great and um, when when Stella, you know, the whole um, um, EP was was finished, we sent it over to to Renat, uh, who was running the RNS label, and um, RNS back at that time was something like what what is drum code today, you know. Mm -hmm. It was just when you're on this label, then you made it you know in the techno scene or yeah, yeah. then then you, you're it's like uh, getting you know uh, uh i don't know how the uh, standing before the queen and she says now i'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> turning you you're in, uh, <laughs> commander of the british empire or something you know and he, he, uh, <laughs> when you were accepted by um by uh, rns records then you had your you know you were something uh, one yeah. one big big step higher, you know, and uh, yeah, then it came out and made some noise, and so and and these tracks still mean a lot for a lot of people. I don't yeah. know when we when we did it, um, it, it was just uh, we 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 weren't really thinking about you know let's do something extraordinary or something special or let's do something uh, um, that is innovative or anything like that was we, we just did a track you know yeah. and for some reason it became what it is today yeah you know there was never a plan behind or anything you know yeah. i mean it really is with with a lot of the and a lot of the jam and spoon stuff you know it really is epic it's a journey you know it's not just a 
a throwaway dance track, you know. I mean, when, you know, the Age of Love remix came about, I mean, how did that build in the studio? Was that just a bunch of samples from the original, you know, yeah. and then you just throwing ideas around? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We we got um, there was a, a a DAT tape, you know, a digital audio tape was coming along, and uh, there was some just some sequences on it, like the the typical Age of Love sequence, you know, this uh, sawtooth kind of uh, sequence, and um, there was actually actually Age of Love had a rap on it <laughs> that yeah. we never used, and uh, yeah, we we took this characteristic. Uh, vocal by i think karen mulder i think it was like this model well this uh, um uh, come on dance with me move your body like the beat and uh, then um but there was no midi files or anything you know it was just like audio files and of course um back at that time it wasn't so easy to work with that because um um, time stretching wasn't as good and so i what i did is i um, uh, this sequence goes quite fast goes down 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 you know and you know the notes go go really fast and i sampled this and i played it on a very very low key so it was uh, playing really slow <laughs> yeah so then i could like ah it's like that and i i could finally reprogram yeah. the sequence i don't know if i really made it 100% but it worked, you know, and uh, and then I had this funny, you know, funny bass drum sound at the beginning that was just making some some sub noise, and um, and the hi hat that comes in, you know, that is always, you know, when the hi hat comes in, when I play this uh, in in my sets, when the hi hat comes in, everyone knows, okay, Age of Love, here we go. Yeah. Um, this, but this was never a hi hat. It was like. Uh, like a phoneme, it was like a T from a singer that was going through several uh, wave shapers uh, in a Atari program called TurboSynth. Oh, okay. I don't know if you ever heard about this. It was like one of the first, you know, I think the developers of Pro Tools uh, did it. It was oh, okay. DigiDesign digi back at that time. And so I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, it's, so um, we, we put this together and I think after, you know, today I need weeks and weeks and weeks to finish a track Back at that time, both mixes, like an A and B side, were done in two days. Wow. I don't know how we did that, but you know, yeah. uh, today I need, I, I don't know, uh, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks for yeah. the track. And uh, back at that time, it was <laughs> just, oh, let's go and do it. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did the sort of gated strings and gated vocals come about? Was that just sort of like literally getting them through a outboard mm-hmm. sort of gator? Yeah, that, no, no, that was actually, um, it was a bit of programming, you know, I, um, there is like a, there's like a value where you can control um, the volume of the MIDI, you know, you, yeah. and so I, I actually reprogrammed this hi-hat pattern with this, which is actually a hi-hat pattern that comes from the disco area, and um era and um this is um reprogrammed like with uh with um, midi control uh controller data and so this was not not a gate or a gator it was just um you know programming like a, a 
You know, he, he, before we met, he already was a DJ, with, um, he, but he played hip-hop. And then uh, with the rise of uh, Sven Faith, everyone wants to go into more you know, dance-orientated music. And uh, yeah, and um, he uh, changed his name from Markus Löffel into Mark Spoon to be more international. And so, yeah, after this, we... Um, we were uh, um, he was doing his DJ jobs and I was just doing studio work I never was for some reason that I can't really understand for some reason I was never really interested also try to um, establish myself as a DJ back yep. at that time and actually I was I was happy that I didn't have to go through all this circus you know I remember there was uh, like I think three important record shops in Frankfurt very small record shops and they had like a little uh like a little shelf um one was named Sven Fate the other was named Mark Spoon the next was named DJ Dark and some others and there were some records in it Sven Fate had always like about 10 and Mark Spoon had about 3 and DJ Dark had about 2 <laughs> <laughs> you know and sometimes when Fate, um, Sven Fate would, would come into the record shop, <laughs> I think he would like um, when there was like a good record and there were only three copies, he would like buy them all <laughs> so the others don't get it. <laughs> so he's and, got you know, it. Was, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, the, he was the only one who could play this track, you know. And um, I think um, uh, I, I'm not, I'm. I don't know if it was true, but it was told to me. And I think, you know, um, DJs are a little bit like this. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it could be easily true. But anyway, um, and so I was happy not to, you know, run after these records and, you know, investigating and all these, you know, games playing and running after people and make them interesting. Okay, can I play on your party and all this? You know, I was... I was happy not to do not to do this, you know. Yeah. And, but you know, now since I became a DJ, in, you know, just before I pass away, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> you know, in my um, fifties, I, um, I I really uh, regret. Uh, this is if you would ask me, you know, what did you regret in your life? Then I would say, oh, I regret that I didn't discover this a bit earlier. Yeah, because it's so much fun to uh, mix two records together. Yeah. I never could. I imagine that this was fun, but um, this is just amazing. I love DJing. Really, yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even you know, we spoke about it when you were over in Glasgow playing. When you're DJing and playing your records, you're seeing firsthand. All these people going crazy to the to the songs yes. that you you made, 
and, mm-hmm. and and I suppose back then you you sort of missed seeing mm-hmm. audience reaction to your music. You know, did yeah. you maybe see it on TV when when things were on TV or something like I don't know Mayday Party or Love Parade playing the track and you're watching. Yeah, any connection to the. That's yeah, and uh, I think when you play as a DJ, when you play your records, it's even something much, much more different uh, uh, than when you're just there and um, just watch, you know, yeah. as a like uh, as a guest, you know, when when you see s- s- someone playing your record and. Uh, then of course it's enjoyable you know when it works good <laughs> when it doesn't work it's not so enjoyable <laughs> but um, uh, yeah and Mark Spoon was always saying please you know I come along and when I play you know there's this weekend you know and, and we're gonna celebrate and gonna have a good time with, you know with the girls and everything and I was like okay you know because you know Mark Spoon was a real rock and roller you know he was like a hedonist, you know, yeah. he, uh, a weekend would start uh, on Thursday and would end like on, on Tuesday evening. Mm. And so it's, um, it, it was really, uh, I, myself, my constitution, I was never um, able to um, celebrate and, and, and go crazy like this. Uh, but Mark Spoon, you know, he was this uh, street guy who he, he could take anything and, you won't believe the situation that he went through, you know. And when when he came after the weekend, when he came to the studio and he told me his new stories, it was much more that I ever that ever happened to me in my whole life, <laughs> like in one weekend for him. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it's really amazing, you know, what this guy is like in a big, big adventure he went through. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. And so I was always afraid when he said, come on, you know, for the uh, travel with me for the weekend, you know, when I play, I was like, okay, when I go with him, I I, I just can't say I go home to bed now because yeah. I'm tired. It's no way, you know, yeah. you just have to stick with everything. And you have, have to, in Germany, we say, um, Mitgefangen, mitgehangen. There's something like, that means like, okay, uh, now you're you're really arrested, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. There's no way out, no yeah. way out, no way back. And so um, I, I think I couldn't take this, you know, all these, uh, you know, parties and drugs and alcohol and whatever, you know, it's just too much for me. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. just, I, I, it was not not my world, and uh, so I. I never really went when he, he said, you know, you have to see the people parting on your music. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really nice to hear. But I think I, I stay home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, were, you, were, you were happy and comfortable in your studio. And I think Mark yes. done enough partying for the two of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, for, for 10 of us. You know. Yeah, he was, he was crazy, crazy yeah. guy. Definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, amazing guy, crazy guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going back to the uh, the music side of things, you've you've fallen up with another single. When like the first album did that? Was that a sort of let's create a piece of music rather than a collection of singles, or was mm-hmm. that how did the first album come about? Yeah, it um, was also another Mark Spoon idea. He said, you know, when we have to do an album now, I think that's very important that we come up with an album uh, so that um, and he said you know I have this idea to create musical fairy tales yeah. and I said oh that's a nice idea and um, 
let's make pieces of music and like little short pieces in between that um, where someone would like you know tell a fairy tale or anything like that and and so this is how we started you know um, we were recording the tracks and you know I don't know I, I'm when I listen to those two records you know the Tugomatic Fairy Tales 2001 and 2002 I really um was wondering how we did this and um what was um you know what what was the chemistry behind because i honestly i never was so um um into this music and into myself with the music uh, at any other time mm -hmm. and when i listen to this album it still sounds very good and it still sounds fresh and but i don't i i i can't remember and i don't know how i did it wow this is absolutely um this is like a like a mystery <laughs> for me. Yeah. like uh, i must have had an angel looking over my shoulder all the time and telling me now you do this now you do that <laughs> i don't know yeah. it was just um uh, after this i think i never was so inspired and and also i never had uh, you know music came with that ease you know it, it was so easy to to just put some chords together and it was all always great you know yeah and uh, there was i think there was maybe two tracks that we that didn't pass our you know that they're not, not strong enough but the others we always would take and then put it on the album because they were just good you know yeah and um I don't know. <laughs> amazing, just amazing time, uh, yeah. and uh, I never had such a great time in my whole life again. You know, it doesn't mean that my <laughs> the rest of my life was bad. But, <laughs> you know, it was. Um, it, it's just like uh, uh, um, it was just a magic, ma yeah. magic time. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose then as well. You're you're experimenting, and everything's new. You're, you know, mm -hmm. you're you're yeah. creating new ideas and new sounds, yeah. and in many ways. It, it's that's the hard thing you know to do to create these but you, you're just on a roll you're making all these amazing new sounds songs and now mm -hmm. it's even harder to create even more new ideas because to a certain extent you've almost done it all before and yeah i agree with you now even myself it takes me weeks to try and make music because i feel like i'm always trying to impress myself like mm -hmm. not do something i've done before and where mm -hmm. when you were younger, you just didn't care. It was all great. It, everything was fun and exciting yeah. and new. You know, it's like absolutely. I hear you. I hear you. And it's um, you know also when you do when, when we did arrangement. Coming back to the Age of Love remix, for example, I think. Uh, correct me when I'm wrong, but I think it was the first time when. Um, the rhythm of the track completely came to a stop and only pads were playing only melodies and pads and uh, because i remember a conversation with mark spoon back at that time when as when he, he he had the idea for this he said now let's um you know stop all the the rhythmic uh, um instruments and just let the pads play and the melody 
And uh, I said, yeah, but you know, people can't dance. And I said, yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. Believe me, believe me, this is going to be great. And I said, hmm, it's really funny, you know, that in, but, but, but can, the people can't move really. And said, ah, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I'm the DJ, you know, <laughs> believe me. And so uh, I think, um, yeah, you know, this, this, so we did this break without any bass drum, hi-hat, whatever. And uh, he was actually singing the melody of this da 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 you know he was singing this uh and i and i listened to him oh, and, and finding the notes and everything and finally we had this uh the huge huge um pathetic break you know that uh is this, this hands up moment yeah. <laughs> when i played and um I think it was the first time when when something like this appeared in this uh, the first big breakdown yes yes yeah. right and today it's like in every in every kind of you know track yeah. more or less you know especially it's, it's the essential, essential element of every trance track is the big breakdown yes and so um there's a uh, what i wanted to say actually is that um dance music became like um like a certain formula you know it works in a certain way and so we arrange the tracks uh so it would work for the people on the dance floor yeah, and they, yeah. they ex expect something like like a breakdown and um when you place it right it still works you know it's yeah. still a great moment but um so it's when you do dance music it's always a little bit like um you know going around in circles you know if you want to maybe you want to call it repetitious it's a, anyway a repetitious music so it is nothing bad for me <laughs> but um it's um yeah it's so it's really really hard to do something that is really uh, unheard I, th I i don't think it's really possible to do something that's unheard yeah. you can be very um, when, when it comes to sounds i think you can be very radical and maybe try and to go and look for something that hasn't been used before, like sound-wise. But um, on the other hand, I think more or less we heard everything already. Yeah. You know, in the '90s, you could like combine monk monks with uh, with you know this with a 909 beat and put some other samples from I don't know whatever into it and all of a sudden you had something that was unheard before yeah but today when you do monks you know and say oh yeah, we had this in the 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's nothing new right? uh, but i think what uh is always um you know the highest goal in making music is that you have like a signature sound that you have like a um uh, when you put on the record and and you play it uh, you can say oh this sounds like Weber, or this sounds like uh, um, I don't know, maybe Jamal Ma. I don't know, and and you know that everyone has like a yeah, like sound. a real sound and like a very like a signature sound that you can um, immediately hear when you put on the record. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, I think you know that's that that's when you become elevated to being an artist when people immediately know your sound and can connect it to the to the name isn't it that's you know that's when yeah i guess that's when you've made it really isn't it as an artist people identify mm -hmm. your music with yeah. you um mm -hmm. so i mean not only is, is jam and spoon growing 
when did the storm thing kind of come? Is that a side project, or is, yeah. was there other mm-hmm. things coming and going whilst you're focusing on jam and spoon, or was you very much open exactly. to new ideas? Yeah, the thing is, uh, when we had the like the big success with Jam and Spoon with Right in the Night and all these records, then um, we we more or less ended up in the same trap like um, that I just tried to describe before uh, on Dance to Trance. You know, you know, major record companies come along and say, "Hey, we give you the big money, and um, now we're sign here," yeah. <laughs> and then. Of course, um, you end up more or less like in the like in um, doing pop music, really. You know, you have like songs, you know, chords and progressions, and you have a singer. We had Plavka, and um, uh, more or less, we ended up like being a pop band, more or less, you know. And uh, so, you know, after after we we, we um, there was like a distance between the club music and the music that we were doing uh, our music wasn't really compatible anymore with the club mm-hmm. maybe for some commercial clubs maybe yes but uh, we always wanted to be edgy so mark spoon said let's do a new project i have uh, an idea we call it storm and we make really stormy records you know like really edgy and and stuff like that and and um yeah and i had this sequence from the first storm record I uh, was also like an afternoon when he came like uh, four hours late and I had something <laughs> ready <laughs> and I showed it to him. But then I had this crazy, crazy modulation on the sound. And he was like, uh, you know, was like, oh, this sounds awful, but, you know, trash it. But then he, oh, he again came back and said, ah, play that sound again. And can you make it a bit smoother? And said, yes, I can make it smoother. No problem. And uh, so... Um, yeah, and then we had the first Storm record. It was actually the idea was to go back into the you know with Storm, you know, coming back to the to the club, you know. Yeah. And is both projects was there a sort of peak and then a, a quiet time? Where yeah. are things? Where are things going? What kind of years this? You know. What? Yeah, uh, this quiet time is a very good, uh, a very decent and um, lovely description of us being very lazy <laughs> yeah. we um you know sometimes uh, we just were hanging out in the studio and we were trying to make music and for some reason we um you know after some years uh, it took us very very long to you know finish a track or uh, find some music that would really be um good enough to yeah. get being released and and also to pass our um um our um, standards you know we we didn't want it to come up with something weak just because we wanted to release a record you know yeah. we always were, were definitely trying to always release something that was powerful and uh, was good enough to um you know be accepted by the people and so um yeah it's um i think you know, with german spoon we just did four i think it was four lps you know the first was more or less like a double album the diplomatic fairy days and then there was um what was uh, the kaleidoscope and then there was like diplomatic fairy tales 3003 which was actually a flop it was released in 2003 
and it was completely pop music you know it was uh, we, we completely lost the ba- the fan base with this because we went we went crazy and did something that was you know with, with a lot of guitars and you know real drums and we we just we had the idea not to come up with the, like a four on four bass drum anymore mm-hmm. you know we just wanted to do something um special you know and also there was a big change in the german music scene you know dance music you know the commercial dance music was going down was going back to underground yeah and um, all of a sudden everyone was into bands and, and hip-hop and so um we tried to also you know we didn't feel home really anymore uh, at the club and and also max boon he, he wanted to quit being a dj you know because he suffered too much from this um misuse of of uh, drugs and alcohol and he, it finally became a big big problem for him you know to handle this mm-hmm. and so um, this was also uh, very you know one of the reasons why we didn't want to go back and do club music you know yeah yeah this was um i'm i'm sure if uh, mark spoon would not have passed away in 2006 we would have like a big gap you know doing whatever and i think uh, in 2012 2013 we would reunite and pick up yep. you know the momentum you know because i think there is still a big rise now in but this is only from my personal view but i think um uh, dance music is now much more popular than ever if you don't mind me asking how how did it affect you personally uh when mark sadly passed away Oh, it was um, a moment that uh, was completely unreal to me. I mean, sometimes it's still, I'm still to me, it's unreal that he isn't there anymore because every day um, he's on my mind. And uh, when I'm doing music, I always ask myself, well, if Mark would be here, what would he say? And what would he... um, um, what what he what would he do when I play this to him, and so it was we yeah it was completely unreal. I was no, no, this is not true. You know, this is something that you can't really um, uh, understand in a logical way. I mean, I knew that Mark was very very sick from his drug abuse, and um, he um, he had like uh, two rehabs. Mm-hmm. two or three rehabs and he was quite on a good way back uh, on on track um, he had a job at the Berlin fashion show as a musical director and so he had a good income and uh, hired bands and DJs and because he had a very good overview about what was going on always and so he, actually he was on a good track back to uh good life mm-hmm. the years before especially when we did this uh, around 2002 2003 when we did this album he was really really sick and was in bad conditions i didn't see him sometimes for weeks and weeks and he was really um, suffering from you know his addiction and um that was really hard you know and if such a message you know that uh, mark would have been passed away at that time I would have been prepared, you know. I, I, I was more or less always thinking, okay, 
one morning you get the message that he isn't yeah. anymore, you know. But um, you know, him after all this, uh, um, being through the, all these rehabs and and having a job again and starting a new life in Berlin, um, and you know, having a quite sorted life. I never would have thought that uh, this happened. So I was really like shocked. I was yeah. really like, "What? I can't believe this!" Yeah. You know, and and of course, um, um, it was like, um, you know, my my um, my most valued partner and good friend, you know, just wasn't there anymore. So I had to go on myself, and I was completely confused. I tried this and tried to produce bands and everything, and. You know, I was actually completely away from electronic music. And uh, I remember clearly when I was, uh, it was early morning when I had to, to do um, um, a test and I was going to the test and um, driving with a car and I was listening to an audio injection podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was so electrified by this. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. This flow and, you know, and this, you know, it was kind of minimal, but always groovy. You know, he's he's fantastic, I think. And so um, this was okay. I this is my home. You know, electronic dance music, club music. That's my home. I want to go back here. Yeah. What, kind so of year, I, what kind of year was that, Jam? That was, I think, in 2012, 2013 or so. Yeah. I think it was 2013 yeah. and um, this is when I picked uh, I tried to pick up again and then I got uh, an offer from um, the guys who are celebrating a big rave out there in the sticks in Germany like for 50 60,000 people it's called uh, Nature One and uh, the guys were asking me you know we have this classical stage would you like to play some a live set with German Spoonster and I was like <laughs> I was just saying yes. <laughs> I didn't know how to, what I would would do then, and I, 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 you know, I had no idea what was expecting me there. But this is where actually was my first time when I was, you know, I had some some instruments on stage, but I was also mixing, and uh, so I was my first time as a DJ, and was was just amazing. Yeah. It was um, it was just such a great experience and from this time on i it, it really took the momentum going back into electronic dance music it really charged your batteries and got you excited again yeah. about yeah mm -hmm. so can we we'll take a break and play maybe two of your favorite jam and spoon tracks and then we can come back and talk about where we are now yes thank you <laughs> what, would, what would they be what would be that your your two selections of jam and spoon um Maybe yes. Well, I think maybe Stella. Oh, maybe maybe that's too common. <laughs> I don't it's know. A, it's, a, it's a classic, and it's your first one, isn't it? So it's yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah. choice. Yeah, uh, Stella, and the second one would be maybe from the 2002 album "Secret Kind of Love" because that's completely something un unexpected okay from the uh, tripomatic fairy tales 2002 is i think it's uh, uh, the last or the the one before the last track i, I can't really remember i think it's a uh, last track okay <laughs> we'll play them so mm -hmm. i'll just slip them in and then we're back chatting so yeah sure you know you're looking back on your back catalogue and you're getting excited again about music um and 
the sort of DJing path after you've done the Nature One show. You're just mm -hmm. really excited again. It's, it's really your first experience to play your music live to people. Yeah, yeah. It, it must have been amazing. almost like starting, ag starting again. You know, you must have got so much energy from seeing yeah. that. Of course, yes, yes. It was, uh, I couldn't believe it. And uh, I was like, um, me being on stage in front of uh, so many people, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's go. And uh, I had so much fun. I was, uh, I was almost uh, shitting in my pants, but uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. It was uh, just a fantastic experience. And I have to, uh, uh, having said that, there was another um, experience that was um, amazing. Mark Spoon uh, passed away in 2006, and that was the last time, I think, when the Love Parade took place in Berlin. was the last um, Berlin Love Parade. And, um, you know, the guys from the, from the Love Parade said, you know, I don't know how you think about this, but we would like to have you playing like a 10 minutes live set in honor of Mark Spoon. And I said, of course I will do that. Mm -hmm. So um, I had, I still had the impression of playing there at the uh, Siegesäule, you know, at this um, where the final um, party takes place, you know, at this circle. And I was playing there. I, um, in front of, I think it was, 2.1 million people or so, you know, no were pressure, around. No pressure. So, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Oh. I was looking at uh, the 7th of June, you know, very famous. And, and uh, the sun was going down uh, in the street. And I could, you know, as far as I could look, I could see people dancing on one bass drum. <laughs> it was warm, 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 warm. And, you know, uh, I don't know how many people uh, were there. I, a couple, yeah, I think it was like two million or so. I don't know. Wow. But um, uh, this, I, I thought uh, this is absolutely amazing that um, music and, you know, rhythm has so much power to unite all these people. So we're coming all over the world just to celebrate, you know, music and, you know, just being alive, you know, yeah. it was uh, uh, amazing. It was just amazing to, to experience this. And so, yeah, this, but the, then it was like years and years of, you know, trying to find out what I was doing. And then I, you know, with this um, gig at the Nature One, it was like, okay, this is my, uh, this is initial start of my second, I don't know, second spring. <laughs> 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 yeah, my second spring. We have a, we have a saying in Germany with the, the zweite Frühling, which is like for older men, you know, who are sneaking after women. <laughs> you know? So this is my second spring. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, as you, with the DJing, learning to DJ and then learning the art of DJing, I mean, you're relying on your musicianship really, aren't you, with what yeah. songs are going to go with what and, you know, what's the right song to play? Because I remember when you came over to Glasgow and you played at 1994, the excitement mm -hmm. in the room was electric, everybody waiting mm -hmm. for you to go on. Mm -hmm. And I was nervous for you. And I was thinking, what's he going to start with? What's he going to start with? And you just played right in the night, the opening guitar bit. And the place uh -huh. just went 
absolutely crazy. <laughs> and, and I thought, and I didn't think that would be an opening tune for you. And, and I just thought, that's just fantastic. You know, and then you see it happen automatically. Changes the mood and lifts everyone up. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, obviously your musicianship and your, you know, taking those years learning as DJing, that's when it kicks in and that's what separates a good mm-hmm. DJ from a bad DJ, you know, knowing the right tune at the right time. And for me, that was just amazing to watch, you know, and see the crowd reaction. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say that um, um, I, um, uh, I can't really 100% um, remember the producer from, from uh, El Nino, Nelson. Uh, um, Agnelli and Nelson? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the Nin, uh, because um, I, I, I think a couple of months before, I yeah, I think in January, I played in Belfast. And um, yeah, and, and he was coming up uh, uh, into uh, before the show and uh, saying hello and said, you know what, Jam, um, you have to play right in the night. And I was like, ah, no, you know, that's not cool, you know, right in the night, you know, for my first Belfast show. No, 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 I don't think so. I tell you, you have to play right in the night. Well, I thought, um, okay, all right. Well, if he says this to me, then um, probably has a reason. And (laughs) so I played my show one hour and uh, came to the last track. And, you know, then I fired up right in the night and the guitar was coming in and the place was co- you know the roof was really going off you know? yeah. <laughs> was so i thought okay uh, in scotland you know people just you know when they hear german spoon they they think about right in the night age of love remix stella maybe stella is too deep probably for like a short uh, show you know this is but um, there are several tracks that are just iconic for german spoon and uh, people are somehow expecting this and this is what i learned from him uh, he was telling me you have to play um right in the night and uh, so i was um yeah from from this experience i knew okay you know give them the food you know give them yeah. the <laughs> what yeah, they yeah. want yeah. somehow as a dj you 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 can understand yourself as an artist but at the same time you're still an entertainer and you have to you know just to serve the people and make them happy yeah and uh, yeah this uh, so yeah <laughs> i this was just like okay um, what am i going to do you know just not building up something just you know, opening the door and here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. T- tell me, did you play the classical guitar in that? Yes, exactly. Wow, wow. This is, I was this is, yes, yes. It, uh, this is uh, what's the idea. And um, also, um, um, there's a piece for classical guitar called Asturias, which um, is um, composed by a Spanish composer, Isaac Albeniz. And um, I played this piece on on the classical guitar uh, as a, the last, maybe the last piece in, in a recital or maybe as an encore because it was such a popular piece. And I, I always loved this. Uh, it was one of my favorite pieces for, for classical guitar. And, and I remembered this melody and I... Uh, you know, back in the time, I thought, uh, you know, you have always loved this melody so much. Uh, why not? Why not uh, arranging this for for you know for for um, 
for a track for the dance floor and um so i recorded this and that uh, i had to do a few changes in the melody and in you know i think the original is in three four and as you know as we all know uh, this uh, dance music is always in four four <laughs> <laughs> so i had to add some notes and you know i had to do some arrangements but yeah it's um, the basic uh, the root or the you know the core of this composition is actually uh, that classical gu uh, guitar piece wow yeah amazing <laughs> follow me is another massive track particularly in scotland can oh you yeah, tell yeah. Us anything about, about that track and the making of that track because that just goes absolutely crazy at the end and speeds up, but it just seems mm -hmm. to work as a piece. Can you remember yeah. remember doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, right in the night was finished first, and um, there is like a C part, like a there is like a, a you know a different part uh, at the almost at the end of of the. Um, extended mix of right in the night where this synthesizer is coming in bam, 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 bam. you know and this is also by the oberheim expander <laughs> that i've been mentioning before and um so we had to do a b-side you know for the release of right in the night so we, we were thinking okay just we're taking this and making uh, this like like the like the core for the for the b-side track and um put together some samples some sounds and this, this was the first part of uh, follow me and then uh mark had the idea he said can you make a sound that would go like <laughs> i was like oh, all right okay here we go uh, so i you know, took the Roland JD800, which is like, uh, another famous and very nice synthesizer, and uh, came up with this um, sound. It's you know, put some pads on it, and then we had this break. And um, so usually you would pick up like after the breakdown, you would pick up like the things you had before in the, in the first part. But then, uh, then Mark said, oh, let's go crazy and make, make something completely new. Like, like, like it would be like a new piece of music. And I said, yeah, well, if you think it's okay, let's do it. So what would you think? Yeah, we, we, we start with the same tempo, then we go fast and fast and fast and fast and we go 160 and everyone, everyone goes crazy. <laughs> and, um, I want you to program a sound that is like like in the age of love, they are really edgy and stuff like this. And so I um, programmed the sound with my Roland seven, uh, System 700 that I was also mentioning before, you know, that I bought in the 80s. And uh, then we had this, you know, this uh, resonating sound that goes at the end. And um, yeah, and then we, we uh, put down, as you know, we uh, the tempo is going down to almost I don't know maybe 50 BPM, and so it was a crazy piece of music. And I remember that Mark said, "Yeah, now we're doing another piece," you know, after this. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "No, no, 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 uh, this is uh, finished now. Yeah, it's complete. That's, yeah, it's complete now, and uh, it's." It's good the way it is, and then we had. Um, uh, and I remember when uh, the guys from uh, Sony UK came over, and we presented him 
the, the guys, we, you know, the A&R boss came over to hear the new German spoon because they were signing us as well for the UK. And, uh, and then we were firing up the um, uh, follow me. And they, it was like a conference room with a big system. Mm -hmm. And uh, they played it like uh, at a medium volume. And I was like, no, this you can't hear it like yeah, the medium <laughs> volume. So I just uh, were, were jumping up and put it on 10. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and everybody was like, yay! <laughs> so this break came and, you know, this... Uh, third part you know with 160 bpm and they, they were completely thrilled they said oh it's a masterpiece and you know they, they you know people people like you know were, were who were like 50 years old back, back at that time but they really were picking up this music i mean respect uh, they were just into it yeah and so um, um um follow me was um released and i i think the one who picked it up first and made it really famous was actually Laurent Garnier. He played it on the big raves. And um, uh, I remember Mark once was coming into the studio and said, you know, this famous DJ Laurent Garnier, he's playing, he's really making it famous and plays it on really, really big raves. And I think he, um, yeah, so thank you Laurent Garnier for <laughs> featuring this track. Yeah. Uh, he was picking up this track, I think, as, you know, was one of the first really important and famous DJs who played it. Yeah, it was, it was a massive yeah. track. Yeah. Moving on for the Jam and Spoon and getting to where you are now, you've, you've really come on to your own sound again with more on a techno side of things. You, you must be really happy and excited of just about making sort of cool techno and getting into that again. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, uh, I have to say, when I started with uh, with dance music, producing dance music, I really, really wanted to go techno. I was totally uh, fascinated by this Belgium dark techno thing, you know, that was coming out of these front 242 things. And, you know, they had like a special um, texture in their music, the, the, the guys from Belgium. And uh, I really, really loved that. And... Um, I really wanted to go into this, but my, um, you know, Mark, Mark Spoon and, and <laughs> my manager, they were always forcing me, no, no, let's go commercial. <laughs> we have to do, make some money, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I um, was not too happy about because I always thought it was uncool. But uh, today, actually, especially in these times, I'm really, really happy that I have that they uh, forced me to do uh, music like this because now I can make a living from that, yeah. you know. Um, at the moment, you know, in the Corona crisis, you know, no gigs anymore, nothing. But you know, I have still good plays on Spotify and iTunes Music and all these, and you know, this keeps keeps the machine still going on, you know. Yeah. So I'm happy about this, but um, I I, th I think now I'm in my late fifties. Now I want to do the music that I always wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, so I said, okay, I will have my own label, just release my own bullshit, you know, on this <laughs> label. No, I don't have to ask anybody if, if yeah. it likes it or not, you know, I just go and, and do this. And of course, I, I want to make it as good as possible. I really want to make it, make the music as, you know, that they are picked up by the great DJs. Um, but you know, it's really, really hard to compete with them, you know, that yeah. to, to get the, get the level of production 
that the top-notch producers are delivering. And uh, you can't be like un under this very much, you know, you have to really match it, that niveau. And uh, it's so hard to produce uh, um, dance music, to, uh, club music these days. I think it's really, really hard because... Um, Everyone has access to the best sounds and to pre-produced sounds. And so the, um, the technical and the sound uh, level is really, really high. And, um, and some of them even have their own signature sound and, and really, um, you know, push the sound um, into directions of their own. So they're always like opinion leaders somehow, you know, like we were probably in the 90s and now... Yeah. I, I'm on the other side and look what <laughs> the young guys are doing. And so, or not, not um, young guys, you know, most of them are also like in their 40s. And, but anyway, it doesn't matter really how old you are, as long as you have good ideas. But anyway, it's, um, yeah, this is what, I, what I'm trying to do. It's just, um, you know, enjoying making music and, and uh, enjoying playing your own music as a DJ. Yeah. So I, I mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting times for techno because techno seems to be now being influenced by the early trance music that you made in the 90s. Mm -hmm. There's this yes. kind of revival almost. Yeah, yeah that's... I, I, I think this is true. Um, a couple of years ago, when I listened... Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Adam Bayer. And mm -hmm. um, when I listened to his mixes on the drum code radio, I, I thought, wow, this is... You know, this is completely me. This is where I come from. And if it's time to come back now with um, this kind of music, then it's now. Yeah. And this was really, I thought, okay, I really have to go and, and try and start producing music like this. And uh, but, but at that time, I still was like, like somehow um, drawn into other projects and I had to finish them so I was a lot of delay until I really could pick up and start uh, producing my own tracks but now I think um, and uh, I think I can uh, I, I am where I wanted to be and the funny thing is that as the beats go higher and higher in techno it touches almost like the hard trance style mm. at the moment when you listen to uh, Amelie Lenz for example yeah. and, and you know some others um Aces and um, this other guy from Italy. What's his name? Um, T seventy eight. You know, this is uh, they, it goes really, you know, into this hard trance thing that we had also like in the late in the late nineties, like yeah. uh, ninety seven, ninety eight. You know, and it's it's interesting how life goes round in circles. Yeah. You know, it's, it's and is it, is it something you think you will explore maybe? taking that sound, the sound that you used to do and mixing it with the techno you're doing now or, or is it something you're already doing? Oh yeah. I think it's, um, uh, I think coming from this era and doing, um, you know, or be, being known for, for certain sounds, I think I don't have a problem to pick up sounds from that time and try to translate this into the time that we are in now mm -hmm. and um so yes i, I definitely use um, sounds from from the past and just trying to make them um to make them you know bring them to life again yeah and um also 
um, I think sometimes it's really nice when I listen when I discover some some tracks that are that sound too good you know there's uh, they sound a little bit muddy and have this 90s kind of charm <laughs> yeah, yeah so to say and um this is really um uh, it's really really funny that people are so um you know trying to go for the for the roots of that kind of music and um it's nice to see that i mean uh, i had a couple of shows when i well, um, I had to play a classical, a classic set, you know, retro set, yeah, all '90s music. And um, I remember one gig in in Brussels in the famous Fuse. And there was like uh, I don't know, a couple of hundreds of people, and in front of me there were just young people. You know, there was not like okay, you guys have been here ten years before, <laughs> twenty years before. No. Those, those were like, they were in their the 20s. Yep. And they were celebrating on this music. They were going crazy on this music. I was yeah. like, wow, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, this was interesting that even young people are probably discovering this uh, style and this music. And um, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> As, I mean, I think, I, think, I think what's happening there is the way we would look at Jimi Hendrix, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. I think now the young people are looking back at early dance music. Like yes. we, we would look back, you know, and, and they're really discovering like the music, the dance music they hear just now, there's a hunger to find out the origins and where that mm -hmm. came yeah, from. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, we probably really um, have reached <laughs> status being you know, you know, the originators of this uh, kind of music and, um, you know, it's like, uh, we, <laughs> it's like the oldies of techno, <laughs> <laughs> so to say. Uh, I remember uh, I was uh, with a girl once and um, she always wanted to hear oldies and I was like, oh, I don't want to hear oldies, you know, all these, uh, you know, this dusty stuff from the 50s and 60s but she loved it so much and i wanted to hear just the uh, uh, the um avant-garde kind of music you know yeah <laughs> but now i found myself being one of those oldies <laughs> 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 yeah well is, uh, is there any sort of producers and djs now you mentioned a few that excite you and you do like like you said adam Bayer is one of them mm -hmm. yes that, yes Yes, I think he, uh, what he did on uh, he made really techno popular. Yeah, I think it was really him, and uh, I still love his style very much. I think he's a great DJ, and um, also Carl Cox, and also the the whole drum coach crew. They're always delivering fantastic uh, tracks. Also, like uh, Sam Paganini, he's, uh, he became actually a, a friend. Uh, sometimes we see each other on um, some raves you know and um, it's always great you know to see those people and um, i was very happy that adam picked up one of my eps for um for his uh, label that is more for the you know more groovy and more deep um the um true soul so i had a release on on true soul that i was very happy about a couple of years ago uh, but now I I try to you know 
make myself uh, as uh, you know established as a producer with my own label Jamal Ma record, records yeah. and uh, so like the name says it's just my music you know i i picked up one one track from um, from Mike Push and uh, Crash Guard Uh, because it was just uh, the time was just right for a track like this. So uh, and uh, Mike Bush, he's a friend of mine. We see each other on the uh, on the many many festivals. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, he called me and said, you know, I have this track. Why why don't you release it on your label? And I said, ah, come on, yeah, give it to me. But it's a very small label, and I I think um, when you when you pick up um, music from others, you have a lot of take a lot of responsibility, you know. Yeah. And you you. Um, this is something that I have to get into you know when you want to handle the music of someone else who has like high hopes and, and expectations then everything has to work right and I'm still making you know um, experiences with uh, yeah. being a label owner and with my music if something goes wrong with my music I say okay well it's your fault but if you if something goes on goes wrong with the music of others then ah, it's not so good <laughs> yeah it's hard because when you're running a label you really need to keep your eye on the business and the marketing yes, you know yes, and when exactly, you're making music yeah. you have to focus solely on the music and it's hard to yeah. to, to get the two of them to to combine yeah. and do them both um, absolutely yes and, and and now sometimes it's not enough to be a dj you need to be a dj a producer a record yeah. owner a promoter mm -hmm. There's so yeah. many things being added to just one person now, you know. It's Abs absolutely, yes, you're you're right. I think uh, if you want to make a career as a DJ today, I think uh, there's a lot of marketing in, involved. Yeah, uh, just being a D good DJ is not, not the point. It's not enough, you know. You have to uh, produce, or you have to, you know, find someone who produces music for you like uh, the so-called ghost producers, they have kind of a negative connotation, which I think is, is not fair. Um, I mean, so if you, if you want, I was the, the, the ghost producer of Mark Spoon back at that time. I mean, he was playing the, his records, you know, and he was, because of his music, he, he got famous. And uh, I produced the music and to, I, together with him, but mostly I produced it, um, I mean, maybe... 70% I produced it on my own because he wasn't there or he was sleeping on the sofa <laughs> <laughs> trying to recover from his gigs you know it's uh, but still his spirit was with me yeah. so I was um, when I worked on other records you know with other people behind there was a completely different spirit you know there was uh, but we, with Mark Spoon it was always German Spoon so uh, Yeah, coming back to this, um, yeah, you have to produce your own music and you have to probably be a label owner if you can make it. And uh, you have to be, um, you have to have that little something uh, that makes you apart from all the mass, you know, that is, um, you know, that you, that makes you stick out of the mass. Yeah. Which is very, 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 very difficult, I think. And so the, what I, I have to, I'm um, sorry to, um, um, I have the, um, I'm lucky that I have this history that makes uh, people probably interested in myself because uh, what I play as a DJ, another hundred DJs can do it uh, as, as good as I do or maybe even better, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's, um, 
But as long as the people enjoy it, then wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. You, you've got a history and I think people who enjoy your music come and see you play. They're invested in you as a person. It's, you know, it's about, yes, you playing the music now, but it's what you've done, you know, what you've given them, the amazing memories, mm -hmm. the amazing songs. It's all more than just the music yeah. you're mixing right there. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a mixture of things. Um, yeah, that's right. It's just been brilliant talking to you again, catching up and, and, and enjoying <laughs> listening to your journey same here. music. Yeah, same here. It was, was great. Uh, and also I I, I um, remember this gig in Glasgow, which was absolutely amazing. I never, I, I, I think I can't remember such a, a dedicated crowd to music yeah, crazy. like in <laughs> usually you think, you think uh, when you go south you know to Spain and Italy the people are hot-blooded you know and usually you think uh, the more you go down south the, the you know the, the crazier the people are in the music and they are crazy that's true but when you go up north to Scotland <laughs> there you really meet the real crazy people the, you know, ones who really celebrate on the music. It's it was a great time. It was one of the best gigs in my in my uh, that I have really ever had. And this is no lie. I, wow. I, I'm not making up something here. It was really really great fun. And I remember them uh, shouting like, "Here we, here we, here we fucking go!" <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I never could understand this. And I, I remember asking, "Oh, what are what are they belting or what are they shouting? I don't know what what." what and they. You just said, "Oh, it's good, good. It's, good. it's positive. Go on, go on." <laughs> so that was that was really fantastic, and um, and I knew it was the sixtieth uh, birthday of my mother-in-law, and I couldn't go to the party, and I think she was a bit pissed about me uh, that I couldn't join. But you know, if I remember that I would would have missed that, then it was would have been I would have been really really sad. Yeah. It was great. Glasgow was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to come back over. How how are you feeling about the full coronavirus things? You know, it's what, what do you think is going to happen, and how do you think it's going to pan out with clubs? <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, if I would know, I would be like. Uh, I don't know. I would be like a prophet or something. Yeah. But um, to be honest, I think. If they um, keep the clubs closed for another four or five months, um, the club scene is done. You know, it's yeah. just, you know, it's history. Because, you know, um, they, the club owners, they can't keep uh, paying for the rent and for, you know, for the, for the other uh, expenses that they have for like half a year without any income. Yeah. So there's one thing, either the government is going to help them and they, that they realize that the, this is also like a, like a com economic factor. In, in, for example, in a, in a city like Berlin, it definitely is because a lot of tourists are just coming for clubs, for clubbing to, yeah. to Berlin. They, they arrive like on Friday or Thursday and they, they leave on, on Tuesday and uh, meanwhile, they are just in the clubs, you know, one after the other. And these are, these are millions who mm -hmm. do that. This is the um, what was built in during the Love Parade era. Berlin is like the capital of, or one of the capitals of, of dance music, of yeah. club, clubbing. And um, 
yeah, I think uh, you know we have these um, Berghain and KitKat Club and 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 um, Watergate and all these clubs and um, they're, they're fantastic clubs, but they keep keeping running these clubs. You know, it's, it's so expensive. Uh, yeah. People always think, oh, they're always full and they're making a lot of money. No, no. Yes, they make some money, but um, it's. The money is spent really easily on, you know, restaurant, you know, refurbishing and stuff, and keeping the system in, a, in a, um, going and, and new equipment or, or keep the the equipment in, in good shape, you know, that it doesn't fail during the show yeah. and stuff like this. And then they have like uh, I, I don't know how many people who are um, working there and uh, earning their money with this, and and this is all closed now and. Um, I think if they they keep it keep them closed for another three four five months, then they are finished. Yeah. And um, so I just there's one thing either they either we take the risk and reopen it again and find a system that uh, people you know who are um, entering the club that they um that they have to like um, getting tested with uh, like if they have like high temperature. Mm-hmm. Or they, if they register online, maybe uh, to get access, something there has to be um, figure out something like uh, like a system that pre- people go into the clubs that probably have to, like register somewhere or anything. But we have to find a way um, to reopening the clubs, and of course, I mean it, it is a risk, but uh, we have to. T- I think we have to take the risk, and yeah. we had a lot of demonstrations against, against racism and stuff in Germany and uh, you know know, really thousands of people together and um, there's not really another outbreak there's not another hotspot coming Mm -hmm. out of these um, out of these uh, um, demonstrations and so I think um, there is like a there is a risk but the risk is maybe controllable so I think um, we should uh, take the risk because people are so hungry and they really want to go back uh, to club uh, to the clubs and, and enjoy enjoy themselves and yeah it's uh, everyone can decide for his own if uh, if he wants to or if or if she wants to um, stay in a closed room with a couple of hundred people I mean it's everyone's own choice. So, um, yeah, if you take the risk, then go. I yeah. think, uh, but it's, of course, we have to be cautious. I mean, this virus is serious and it's dangerous for some people, but um, some we have to find a way to uh, go back to normal. Normality. I noticed that yeah. you had been flying and one of your photographs yeah. that you posted, you, it looked like you were on the plane yourself. Yes. <laughs> was that, was yeah, that a strange yeah. experience traveling now uh, during this time? Oh, I mean, oh, this, this, uh, yeah, it, this was not actually in a. There was in a train. There was not. Ah, um, okay, it looked like an aer- yeah. a, a aeroplane. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah the, this, these trains really look almost like an aeroplane. But uh, there was. Uh, I was traveling between Stuttgart and Frankfurt. And it was a ICE train, like an Intercity Express train. And um, these trains are usually really packed. I mean, they're well booked. And uh, but there was no one. And it was like on a Friday night or Friday afternoon, 
when usually these trains are really packed because people are going home and you know are traveling and uh, there was no one <laughs> it was terrible and uh, yeah I was uh, usually I always think uh, I, it's more convenient to travel in like in an empty train but this was a bit spooky <laughs> yeah I bet you yeah 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 so wrapping things up, is there any like social um, pages where people can get in touch with you, about your music and stuff, websites and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. Um, I would be great if we could uh, connect through Instagram or maybe Facebook, uh, Jamal Ma Music. I think uh, you will get uh, the right hit. On my personal page, uh, Rolf Elmer, but um, this is more like a... I have also beyond 5,000 uh, fans now, or friends, how yeah. they are called. And so I can't add anyone. So it's better to leave a like at Facebook or just uh, to follow me on, on, on Instagram or just uh, on Spotify, Spotify or iTunes Music. Spotify, I, I have to really still have to establish um, the, the channels a bit better. And the, the DJs can find my uh, music on, on Beatport and um, Juno Download and others. So um, yeah, I'm just yesterday, there's a new uh, record coming out. It's called Bowser. You know, the, the dragon from Mario, Super Mario. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it, it really sounds like that. And um, it's well picked up, you know. Um, Adam Bayer is also playing it, which I was really happy about. And uh, other great DJs. So, um, yeah, I hope, it, I hope it makes its way a little bit. And, you know, tracks have a short... Um, life these days yeah. so maybe in a couple of months <laughs> you know what it talks about it again but anyway um, yeah let's connect uh, through Facebook or Instagram I think that's the greatest cool. way to uh, get the news yeah so and to, to close off the show could we possibly play Bowser and maybe another one of your own productions to, to yes yeah, there was uh, one nice track called Evo, or the the second one of my label. The second release was Electronica, which really sounds like '90s. Maybe you can. I, I will send them to you, uh, and you can choose. Maybe we'll play them play. all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wonderful, right? Yeah, even better. Yeah, well, it's been absolutely my pleasure talking to you and and, and just listening to your story. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It was uh, great. And uh, sorry again for being late. Uh, I was too much into my music. <laughs> you, you're too, too busy telling me how uh, Mark Spoon's always late and then you're late for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, payday, payday. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm really sorry for this. You know, no, no problem. I'm still under the influence. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Well, I'll end. I'll end the the call just now and just say thanks again. Um, okay. Jamie Omar, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Maloka Lee, and I hope <laughs> to see you back in in uh, Glasgow very very soon. Yeah, definitely. That's got to happen. Facebook, DJ Maloka Lee. I've been up for four days. I don't know what's right and wrong anymore. Oh, wow, this stuff's incredible. Excellent podcast.